0: You're listening to Trinity Fremont's Sermon Podcast, where you can hear God's Word preached each and every week. Our purpose at Trinity is to raise up Christ's followers in our families and in our communities. We pray that as you listen to this week's sermon, you'll be encouraged and equipped to live out your faith in all that you do. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, God the Father. Amen. Amen. John 19, 34 states, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. Blood. It's a major theme in John's gospel, blood. Already in John chapter 1, verse 29, the evangelist quotes John the Baptist. Behold The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb. The Lamb. Jesus will shed blood. John 1.36 reiterates this central idea of the fourth gospel. Behold, the Lamb of God. In John 6.54, Jesus says, Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. You see, in John's gospel... Blood serves one purpose, to wash away sin. Sin is always at our door, isn't it? Sin is always at our door. That's because we never quite measure up. We never quite do enough. We fall short of the glory of God. But just because sin keeps knocking at the door, it doesn't mean we have to let sin in. But we do, don't we? We do. And when we do, sin trashes our house. Sin trashes our house, doesn't it? Yeah. Then, after a terrible mess, sin wants to stay with us for the rest of our lives. And what do we say? Sure, come on in, sin. Let's go. And so we spend the rest of our lives trying to get rid of sin and all the consequences that come with sin. So what do we, what do we do about it? Projection. That's something we might do with sin. Projection. That's one way we sit, we try to, we try to kick sin out of the house. Project sin onto somebody else. Blame somebody else, right? Blame anyone. Blame your husband. Blame your wife. Blame your kids. Blame your teacher. Blame your dog for eating the homework. Blame the government. Blame the system. Another way, rationalization. Rationalization. It's another way we try to conquer sin. What I did is not a big deal. It really didn't hurt anybody. It's just this once, besides, no one will ever know. When projection and rationalization don't work, we might try comparison. If you think I'm bad, you should see the other guy. At least I'm not as bad as him. Well, remember. What he did, I'm a saint compared to him. Another way to get rid of sin is repression. Repression. Stuff it down, stuff it way on down. Live in denial. I know it was wrong, but I'm just not going to think about it. Repression. Another way to say adios to sin is through distraction. Distraction. Rush around from one event to the next so that at night you just collapse. Run yourself ragged so that when you hit the pillow, sin doesn't haunt your heart and muddle your mind. Does that ever happen to you? Let's just stay busy. Then we don't have to think about sin. Another strategy, evasion. Evasion. Pop a pill, have a drink, smoke some weed, get addicted to TV, to sports, to movie stars, to movies. Anything to evade the all consuming consequences of sin. Do you see the problem with all of this? It doesn't work. None of it works. We wake up the next morning and sin's still there. It's still there. There's only one solution to sin. Stand with John under Christ's cross. Stand with John under Christ's cross. Let's read again from our gospel. He who saw it, has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. That you also may believe. John was there at the cross. I think we take that for granted. John was there at the cross. He saw it all happen. John gives his testimony. And his testimony is true. But well, what would that be? What's this testimony that's true? Christ's blood alone, alone washes away all sin. Everyone's sin, yours, mine, his, hers, theirs. For everyone who believes, all sin is forgiven. Sin is forgiven. That's free for us. However it's not that easy you see on good friday we are called to remember the suffering of jesus it was at a great cost that we are forgiven his crucifixion at golgotha oh it was brutal It was absolutely brutal. Jesus is, he's first stripped before Herod's soldiers. He's stripped again at the command of Pilate. And then he's stripped once more at the cross when the soldiers divide his garments by cashing lots. Stripped. He's naked in front of everybody. Can you imagine? When Jesus was flogged by the Romans the next day, lacerations tore into his underlying skeletal muscles and produced quivering ribbons of bleeding flesh. Did you hear that? Can you see that? Quivering ribbons of bleeding flesh. Roman soldiers used a whip of braided leather, thongs, and spikes, and they wove them together. When the whip would have, would strike the flesh, spikes would cause deep bruises and, and lacerations. The whipping would have gone all the way from the shoulders, down the back, even to the back of the legs. The Romans threw Jesus On that cross, and drove those tapered spikes into his hands and into his feet, mocking him, spitting on him. It was a great cost. On the cross, Christ's arms were stretched six inches upward, so his shoulders would become dislocated. The stress of his diaphragm forced his chest into an inhaling position in order to exhale. Christ had to push himself up with his feet as his nails tore through his feet into the tarsals of his feet. For six hours, for six hours, This breathing went on and on. Every time Christ tried to breathe, he would push up. His back would rub against the splinters of that cross. Let's take a look at 34 and 35 from John 19 again. One of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. See, John's the witness. John's talking about himself. He who has borne witness. That's John. Peter Paul Rubens, a famous artist in the 17th century, he depicts these events in John's Gospel. John's or Rubens' masterpiece is called The Descent from the Cross. Maybe you've seen it. Here it is The Descent from the Cross. In the background of the painting, billows of black clouds linger after the three hours of darkness. In the foreground is Jesus. Rubens paints a sweeping diagonal line made by Christ's shining white shroud. Christ's head dangles to one side, and his body hangs limp. Sections of his skin bear the greenish-yellow color of death. You see it? Take a look at the left corner of the painting. Left corner. It is Mary, Christ's mother, who appears in blue. Mary is reaching up to her son. Her grieving face is lit by the whitish of the cloth and and reflects her broken heart. Mary's skin matches the ashen pastiness of Christ, and we remember Simeon's prophecy that a sword would pierce her heart. We can scarcely imagine Mary's profound sense of loss and grief. Another woman supports Christ's foot as it rests on her shoulder. Do you see it? Christ's foot is an important clue to her identity. It's Mary, Martha's, and Lazarus' sister. As a disciple, she once sat at Christ's feet, and shortly before his death, she took expensive perfume and anointed Christ's feet. Next to her is another woman. The tears help identify her. It's Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene is crushed, She's utterly crushed. So much so that on Easter morning, she runs frantically searching for Jesus. We know that the man standing on the ladder to the left is Joseph of Arimathea. His rich clothing comports with the fact that Joseph of Arimathea had enough money to buy burial spices, and he had a new tomb. All for Jesus. Joseph is looking at the man in black. That man is Nicodemus. He's painted in black because, as you recall, Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. We'll learn more about him tomorrow night at the Easter vigil. The person under Nicodemus is dressed in what color? What color? Red. Red. It's John. It's John, the gospel writer. It's John, the beloved disciple. It's John, the son of Zebedee and the brother of Big James. John's eyes are fixed on Mary, Jesus' mother. Do you remember from the cross? Jesus said to Mary and John, Woman, behold your son. Behold your mother. John is already caring for Mary in her deep sorrow. But why is John dressed in red? That's the driving question Peter Paul Rubens wants us to ask. Why is John dressed in red? While Christ's blood drips from his head, his hands, and his side, Christ's blood continues downward until it pours directly onto John. Do you see it? You see, John is dressed in red because John is covered in blood. John is saturated in blood. John is washed in Christ's blood. And John says, that same blood is for you. That same blood is for me. This is John's testimony. This is John's truth. At the bottom right corner of the painting, in a piece of paper with the Latin inscription, I-N-R-I, it's barely, you can barely see it. There's a rock on top of it. You see it down there in the corner? These letters stand for Jesus Noserenus Rex Iudaeorum, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Next to the inscription in rock lies an offering plate that holds the crown of thorns and more blood. Blood is in the offering plate, it's Christ's offering. It's Christ's gift for you, more cleansing blood. Peter Paul Rubens invites us to stand at the cross like John, to hold on to Jesus like John, to allow the Savior's blood to wash us like John. Why? Because Christ's blood is the only solution for all of our sin. So we, too, stand at the foot of the cross, just like John, clothed in red, forever forgiven. Amen.